Thank you, Tom. I want to say a few random things, get them off my chest before we get started, which you know is uncharacteristic. Um, I try not to ramble. I might go long, but I try not to ramble. Um, So I'm going to ramble a minute um, with some disconnected thoughts here at the beginning, and then we'll get into the message. First of all, I want to say uh, that you as a church, have been a blessing. And I know that anytime somebody leaves, there may be, well, I wonder, you know, if there was something else, or I wonder if there was this. And, I, and I've told the committee, please, whoever you talk to, tell them to call me just so I can check them out. No, I would check them out, but tell them to call me because really um, I don't know of a negative thing to say. I mean, there's been little stuff, you know, but there's little stuff at home. You know, you you can lock yourself up in your house and have little stuff. But really, I don't have a negative thing to say. You've been a very, very gracious, kind, generous church. And, um, you know, I told someone that I would not, I I don't think I would have left this church to go to fill in the blank, whatever church you want to name, um, just no need. If it weren't missions and missions related, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be interested in another pastorate. So I want to say that to you to let you know how much of a blessing and an encouragement you've been to me, to my family, to all of us. Secondly, I want to um, say, and, and again, these are disconnected. I was borrowing a pen from somebody behind me that was just making up more stuff to put down here. Uh, you know, Mahala Grace was just baptized, and something that Annie didn't mention that you don't know is that the Sunday she came into this building, she said to herself, I'm going to sit here, and if nobody speaks to me, I'm never coming back. She just didn't really, you know, wasn't comfortable. And he mentioned Vicki Pitts, who came and sat down there. And, you know, we think about the preacher, you know, the sermon, all of those things is what brings people in and, and brings about salvation. And there's truth in that. But one person sitting beside one person, you, breaking out of your circle and sitting by one person that you don't recognize could literally impact eternity. Something that small or that big can impact eternity. Third random thought. <clears throat> and it's, I mean, this is my last sermon. What are you going to do? Walk out on me? Fire me? <laughs> There's food over there. Third random thought is, I want to say how encouraged I've been to hear over and over and over and over again. I mean, I admit I'm not the greatest pastor. I'm probably like one of the worst pastors. Um, but I'll, I'll try to preach well, try to make up the difference, you know. Um, but over and over and over and over again, I've heard people say, thank you for the word, thank you for the word, thank you for the word, thank you for the word. And one of the things I noticed the minute I got here was a hunger to know the scriptures. And almost, and almost a, a, a hunger to know more. Like it's just like a place you need to move to the next level. And so many people wanted to move to the next level in their knowledge and their understanding. And it's been an encouragement to me 
to hear over and over and over and over and over again people's desire and hunger for the Scriptures. And since we're talking about Reformation eventually, here in a minute, um, that someone said that it wasn't Luther and it wasn't Calvin that brought about the Reformation. It was the Word of God. And I want to believe that whatever good has happened here while I've been here is definitely not due to me, but it's due to the Word of God. So stay in it. Which is one of the reasons I'm excited to have Adam here to the end of the year, at least while the committee gets their feet under them and gets some direction for the future. Because I know he's going to bring you the Scriptures. You're not going to miss me. He's going to open the Word. He's going to give you the Word, and I'm thankful for that. And pray for that committee as they seek uh, direction from uh, 2022 onward. Um, But I'm thankful you're going to continue to get the Word. Now, my last random thought, and then we're going to get into the Bible. My last random thought is... You know, I've had people kind of act like the world's coming to an end. You know, you know who you are. Um, and it's not. It's not coming to an end. But, you know, I appreciate it. I appreciate the vote of confidence. But the staff is, you know, they're never going to hit on all eight cylinders. Have you seen these guys? <laughs> but, I mean, they're hitting on, they're hitting on several cil- cylinders. <laughs> And, and I, don't, I don't do anything. You know, I just kind of walk in, keep the ball spinning, get into the Word. So you're not going to miss a beat in the office. I mean, Brooke's still there. So she's going to keep everybody in line, right? And, and you know, you're not going to miss anybody in the office, and it's going to keep rolling on. And I just want to say before, you know, I, I miss this opportunity that I'm thankful for Tom. And I know the music guy, everybody hates you, Tom. I mean... It, and it wouldn't matter if it was you or somebody else. When the music guy comes in, you, everybody immediately doesn't like the music guy. Somebody doesn't. But I just want to say, when, before you came, I said, I'm praying that God will send us someone that is God-centered, that sings songs that exalt Christ, that sings and preaches the gospel and keeps the focus off of the performance and on, on Jesus. And I thank you for that, Tom. And... <clears throat> And if somebody takes that mousetrap, I've been trying to get them to set in Andy's pastor appreciation box and puts it in yours. You just take it off your finger and you keep exalting Christ, singing the gospel, and focusing on him. Just do it, and the chips will fall where they may. Now, so for those of you that think the world's ending, you know, and you're like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? George Mueller, who took care of thousands of orphans till he was 92 said this when people ask, what's going to happen when you're not here anymore, George? And this is my quote. This is, this is my quote that I, I want to say about myself. He said, I hope people will find out how much I am dependent on God and how little he is dependent on me. And that's what I want to, that's what I want to leave you with before we get into the Word. Psalm 96. Turn to Psalm 96. I know Mark's going through the Psalms on Wednesday. If he did this one last Wednesday, don't tell him how much better my sermon is than his was. (laughs) I know Adam's going through the Psalms on Sunday. So don't tell him. Psalm 96. Psalm 96. We're going to look at verses 3 to 13. We have been in a study called Reformation this month. And the reason we chose this month for this study on Reformation 
is because today, 504 years ago, on the Castle Church door in Wittenberg, Germany, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to that castle door. And it sparked the Protestant Reformation. Now, I've told you before, he wasn't vandalizing property. That's kind of where people, that was their Facebook post. You know, it was the door, castle door there. So he was just making his Facebook post like everybody else. And, and he wasn't really trying to spark a Protestant Reformation. He was trying to start a Catholic Reformation and call the Catholic Church back to Scripture. He wanted to have some discussions. But out of that, the Catholic Church resisted any change. It began to, and, this, and this Reformation began to spread. And it spread throughout Europe. And it spread into France and was led there by John Calvin. It spread into Scotland and was led there by John Knox. It was spread, spreading through England at the time, led by William Tyndale, Switzerland, with Ulrich Zwingli and more and beyond. And five statements distinguished the theology of the Reformation from the theology of the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century and today. And we know these statements as the five solas. And we've been talking about them this month. It just so happened in God's providence that He gave me five Sundays in October. And we have five solas of the Protestant Reformation. We've already seen sola scriptura. I hope you remember that one. Sola scriptura means scripture alone. And what we believe is that scripture alone is God's inspired, inerrant, sufficient, and final sole authority for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw solus Christus, which reminds us that Christ alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, is the way, the only way, that the ungodly are justified with God. We saw sola fide, the belief that Christians receive the redemption Christ has accomplished through faith alone, sola fide. We receive what Christ has provided through faith alone. And then last week we saw sola gratia, which is grace alone, and this affirms that all of our salvation from beginning to end is by grace and by grace alone. This morning, we conclude our series with soli deo gloria. Soli deo gloria. Glory to God alone. Glory to God alone. This sola is a reminder that God alone receives glory for our salvation. It's not the preacher, it's not the music, it's not the church. But God receives all the glory for our salvation because every single aspect of salvation is His doing and therefore He gets all the praise and all the glory. Who gave us Scripture alone? He gave us Scripture through the pens of men that He inspired with the Holy Spirit of God. Who gave us Christ alone to purchase our redemption. God so loved the world that He gave His. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Who gives us faith alone? It is not of works lest anyone should boast, but faith comes by grace alone. All of this is God. So we give all of the glory to God for our salvation because He is the one who does it from beginning to end. And in addition to Him being given all the glory for all of our salvation, He is also glorified, praised, and honored by those He saves. It's like a double whammy. He gets all the praise for our salvation because He's done it all. And then, once He's done it all, He takes me, an enemy, 
One who was dead in his trespasses and sins, as we saw last week, he makes me alive, he makes me his son, and now I give him praise and I give him glory with my lips. My salvation glorifies him because he did it, and because he did it, now my lips that once cursed him glorify him. So he gets double glory, and it's still not enough. Because those he has glorified through as he saved them and as they worship him, persevere then in making more worshipers of him through evangelism, discipling, and missions. What's the greatest way we can glorify God? We lead people who are enemies of Christ to be worshipers of Christ. John Piper said, missions exist. Because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. What he is saying is glorify God by making worshipers of God, by leading people who are enemies of God to know God for the glory of God alone. I want us to consider soli deo gloria, glory, the glory of God alone and glorifying God from this angle, the angle of missions in Psalm 96. Let's begin reading in verse number 3 and we will read to the end of the chapter, Psalm 96 beginning in verse 3. Tell of His glory among the nations. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. How great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. For He is coming. For He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You are worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. We thank You that You are glorified through our salvation and You are glorified through those who are saved as we worship You and praise You and honor You and that You are glorified as we who have been saved and worship You and honor You and glorify You lead others to know You in a more real and personal way. God, we pray that this church would be characterized by soli deo gloria. That this message would be characterized by soli deo gloria. And that our lives would be characterized by your glory, for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to consider the glory of God and glorifying God from this angle, the angle of missions in Psalm Chapter 96. I want us to see, first of all, the message of missions. 
You know, missions has a message. And the message of missions is not what you do. It's not how you live, though you should live with integrity, though you should live in a way that, that reflects well upon the gospel. The message of missions is not just your lifestyle. The message of missions is what you say. It's what you tell. And we see it here in our text. In verse 3, we see that missions, the message of missions is to tell His glory. It says in verse 3, tell of His glory among the nations. You want to know the message of missions? It's to tell His glory. To speak of the glory and the majesty and the supremacy of God. Notice that this perspective doesn't start with God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It doesn't even start with you are a sinner because the gospel message, the message of missions doesn't start with you at all. It starts with Him. It starts with God. It starts with His glory. And there is a lot to tell. There is more to tell than eternity will give us time for because in eternity we will never plumb the depths of God. We will never plumb the depths of even one of His attributes as we learn of His glory and as we sing of His glory and we find that He is omnipresent and He is always with us, that He is omniscient and that He knows the past, the present, the future and all of the possibilities as we find that He is omnipotent and that He can do all His holy will, that He is unchanging, that He is eternal, that He is holy, that He is love, that He is wonderful, that He is Lord and sovereign over every area of life, that He is worthy. The message of missions is to magnify God not to make him bigger but to show his bigness we have a great God and in the words of the Puritan Stephen Sharnock since God fills heaven and earth with his presence we should all fill heaven and earth with his glory he is a glorious God we tell his glory the message of missions is not just to tell his glory but to tell his work we go on in verse 3 His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. So we tell of His glory and how glorious and majestic He is. And then we tell of how glorious and majestic His works are. We praise Him for who He is. We praise Him for what He does. Think of all of the mighty works of God that we could meditate on, that we could share about, that are listed in Scripture from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. It would take a lifetime to plumb the depths of the Word of God to see the work of God. Think of all the mighty works of Jesus Christ that's just limited and listed in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's so much to tell of His works in our lives. There's so much to tell of His works in our own personal experiences as we walk with Him, as we, as we commune with Him, as we have a personal relationship with Him and how He shows Himself strong on our behalf over and over and over and over and over again. There's so much to tell, but we know that His number one Greatest work of all that we must tell is the gospel. We tell of his mighty work. Who, this God who is absolutely holy and absolutely perfect and does not need a thing and he doesn't need us and he doesn't need fellowship with us and he's not dependent upon us, chose, chose to humble himself and take on the form of a servant, Jesus Christ. 
Take on the form of a servant and live an obedient life, a life of obedience even to the point of death, death on a cross. He would be buried in a borrowed tomb, resurrected on Sunday morning so that every person who would repent of their sin and put their faith and their trust in Him can be brought from darkness and brought into light. He can be brought from enemy to friend. He can be brought from death to life. This is the greatest work of God that He would come to this earth and live the perfect, sinless, spotless, righteous life He demands and requires of each and every one of us and then that He would go to the cross and there on the cross He would pay the penalty for your sin, my sin, our iniquity, our transgressions and to pay it in full and bury it away in a borrowed tomb and be approved of and please the Father so much so that He would be raised from the dead and ascend into heaven and intercede on our behalf even now. This is the greatest work in history. And we tell His work of the gospel. Romans 10, 13 and 15 says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how will they then call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard and how will they hear without a preacher and how will they preach unless they're sent the message of missions is the works of God and the greatest work of God his gospel you've heard that message every Sunday for the past four years it's my prayer my hope that you've embraced that message you believe that message you've been transformed by that message The message of missions is to tell of His glory, to to tell His works, and then thirdly, to say He reigns. If you drop down to verse number 10, the, the psalmist says, Say, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Our God reigns. Listen, it can look like our nation is slipping off the slippery slope into abandon. But you know what? Jesus is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. The whole world can turn upside down and turn into a ball of fire tomorrow and God will not be moved. He reigns. Turn back just just a couple of pages to Psalm 93. Psalm 93, the psalmist says, The Lord reigns. Yahweh reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed and girded Himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves more than the sound of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The Lord reigns. This is the message of missions. We tell His glory. We tell His work. And we say to the lost, we say to the rebel, we say to the dead, we say to the enemy, we say to the atheist, God reigns. Christ reigns. It's the message of missions. What is the purpose of missions? Verses 4 to 6 of Psalm 96 says, For... For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. We tell of His glory. We tell of His works. We say He reigns. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, little g. 
For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. What's the purpose of missions? The purpose of missions is there is a God who created the heavens and the earth and you fearfully and wonderfully knit you together in your mother's womb and gave you life. And this God sustains your life. And this God is greatly to be praised and greatly to be feared and He deserves your worship. Those who do not know this God are not giving Him the praise He deserves. Instead, they're giving it to, according to the psalmist, idols. False gods. And what is an idol? What is a false god? It's literally a nothing. So here we have a whole segment of the world that is giving glory to nothing. Rather than glory to the God who created them and sustains them. Is that not absolutely mind-blowing? It's not that people don't believe in God. It's people hate God. They don't want to worship Him. It's not that people have found something more pleasurable than God and more wonderful than God and greater than God and more glorious than God. They just don't love God. They don't know God. They don't want to worship God. So they choose nothings. Let me show you how big of a nothing it is. Go to Isaiah 44. Hold your place in Psalm 96. Go to Isaiah chapter 44. This is one of the clearest pictures in all of the Bible of the absolute foolishness of idolatry and how foolish we are to even think for a moment that an idol could possibly be a god. I mean, it's almost as though Isaiah steps back and is just mocking the idolater. In Isaiah chapter 44, beginning in verse number 9. Isaiah 44, beginning in verse number 9. It says, those who fashion a graven image, or make an idol, are all of them futile. And their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know. So that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame, for the craftsmen themselves are mere men. So you know the person that makes that idol... It's just a man like you. Let them all assemble themselves. Let them stand up. Let them tremble. Let them together be put to shame. Verse 12, the man shapes iron into a cutting tool. He takes iron. He blacksmiths himself a cutting tool. He does his work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He also gets hungry. And his strength fails. That arm wears out. I'm, my, my belly's calling. My arm's worn out. I'm taking a break tonight, honey. I'll finish this tool tomorrow. He gets hungry. His strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. Verse 13, another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass and makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of man, so that it may sit in a house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. Wonder who sends the rain. Verse 15, it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and warms himself. He also makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a god and worships it. 
He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. So he says, this man plants him a tree. He babies this tree. God's the one sending the rain on the tree as it grows. It grows to the right height. He cuts the tree down, decides he's going to build a fire with part of it to warm himself. He's going to build a fire with part of it to cook over. And hey, here's another part I think I'll make a God out of. And he falls down and worships it. Wait, wait, what if the God part was in the fire? Verse 16, half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat as he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Aha, I'm warm, I've seen the fire. But the rest of it he makes into a God, his graven image. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, Deliver me for you are my God. (laughs) You see how ridiculous this is? This guy's falling down to a piece of wood that he has carved out of a piece of wood that he has cut up and burned part of for warmth, burned part of it to cook over, out of a piece of wood that he has planted out of a seedling that God provided. This is what the nations give glory to. And it doesn't matter if his name is Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or one of the millions of animistic ideas out there and gods out there. This is what the nations give glory to while splendor and majesty are before the one true God. You've got splendor and majesty before the one true God and you've got a whole lot of nothing over here. You see how foolish this is? You see how ridiculous this is? And we all go, boy, there's some dumb people. I mean, that's just some ignorant people in this world. I mean, I'm glad I don't have a little idol on my mantle. I think it's quite appropriate we've all started putting our TVs above our mantle so that we don't have the little Buddha statue or the little statue we carved or formed out of iron. We just have the other statue that we gaze at and pay homage to for hours and hours on end each week. You can't say amen as Vody Balkan would say, say, oh me, right? What do we give the glory to? And now if that's not enough, we just have one in our pocket. You know, Rachel stole her father-in-law's idols and put them under her saddle, and we just put it in our back pocket here, and in case we ever need to worship a minute, we just pull it out, even if it's during worship. Lord God, Facebook is calling. Lord God, Instagram is calling. I mean, we laugh, but it's sad that we have become so enslaved to screens. And we make fun of people that would be enslaved to an idol of wood when we would be enslaved to an idol of plastic. Shall I go on? Enslaved to our jobs? Enslaved to our money? Enslaved to sports. We act like sports are the end-all, be-all, so much so that we crucified, we crucify Christ and opportunities to worship Him, to go chase after a blown-up piece of pigskin or leather. I mean, it's wood, or we just have this round thing blown up. Same de- The devil doesn't care. He's no, he's no more pleased with the statue carved out of wood or the statue out of plastic or the statue that we drive to and work at 70 hours a week try to make a dollar or the statue that we chase around on the field. He's not, he doesn't care what we're chasing as long as his name isn't Jesus. What nothings 
What nothings do we get enamored with when there's Christ? Every one of those things will burn up on the last day. Every last living one of them. But Christ will remain. And the purpose of missions is to move people from giving glory and praise and paying homage to nothings, whether they're idols of wood or stone or things, gadgets, pleasure, sports or money, and lead them to give glory to God, to the one who's worthy. That's the purpose of missions. It's to snatch the idol worshipers away from their idols, whatever they are, and put their eyes on the one where pleasures forevermore exist. Jesus Christ. What's the end of missions? Look in verses 7 to 10. Psalm 96. The end of missions is all people's worship. All people's worship. Verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Notice the end of missions is that all peoples, not all people, all people are not going to worship in the way we worship. They're not going to worship in the way we worship. It's not all people, it's all peoples. People groups. The same word Jesus uses in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 when He says all the nations, it's all the pantata ethne, the ethnos, the distinct people groups of the world. People from every nation, tongue, and tribe ascribe glory to the Lord. They bring offerings and they worship Him in holy attire. This is the end of missions that there will be people from every nation, tongue, and tribe giving glory to God. And we fast forward Revelation 7, 9, and 10 and we see that it becomes a reality when John said after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb all peoples will worship that's the end and listen since we know the end we know we are going to accomplish the purpose that Jesus has left us here to accomplish We're going to succeed. We're going to be victorious. We're going to win in the end. These diverse peoples will glorify the one true God. But listen, don't let me lose you here. Because not only do very diverse people glorify the one true God, but the very diversity of the people in and of itself glorifies Him. You know, God could have just said, I'm just going to save the Jews. They'll be my people. I'm just going to save the Americans. They're just going to be my people. I know some of us act like that, but that's not the way it is. I'm just going to save this people group. They're going to be my people. God could have done that. But He didn't choose one people's. He chose people from all the peoples. And the very diversity of the people that worship Him glorifies Him in and of itself that He is a God that would choose people from every nation, every tongue, and every tribe. 
To quote John Piper again, he said, There is something about God that is so universally praiseworthy and so profoundly beautiful and so comprehensively worthy and so deeply satisfying that God will find passionate admirers in every diverse people group in the world. His true greatness will be manifest in the breadth of the diversity of those who perceive and cherish His beauty. His excellence will be shown to be higher and deeper than the parochial preferences that make us happy most of the time. His appeal will be to the deepest, highest, largest capacities of the human soul. Thus, the diversity of the source of admiration will testify to His incomparable glory. All peoples will worship. Verses 11 and 12, all creation will worship. This is kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but... The fact that it's not just peoples that worship, but all creation will worship. Verse 11 says, let the heavens be glad. The stars, the moon, the sun, they'll be glad. Let the earth rejoice. The earth with its trees and its plants and its creature will rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. This creation, according to Romans, has been groaning for centuries since man fell into sin. And it is groaning, waiting for the redemption that will come when Christ comes and sets His kingdom up on earth and creation will sing His praise. You don't believe it? Look in Revelation chapter 5 with me real quick. Revelation chapter 5. And look at what happens. If you've been here any time, you know Revelation 4 and 5 are like my favorites. Some of my favorites, right? In Revelation 4, we get this picture of God, the Father, a light shining like a diamond sitting upon a throne surrounded by an emerald rainbow. He's got 24 elders surrounding his throne clothed in white robes with golden crowns upon their heads. He's got these four beasts that are, have six wings. They're covered in eyes in front and behind. One looks like an ox. One looks like a lion. One looks like a, uh, has the face of a man. One looks like an eagle in flight. And, and they're singing, holy, holy. Or they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And when they say that, those elders throw their crowns at his, at his feet and they say worthy are you our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power and dominion for you have created all things and by your hand these things exist and they pick their crowns up put them back on those beasts say holy 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 and they just throw their crowns back now worthy are you our Lord and our God and in Revelation chapter 5 we catch John weeping because he doesn't know who can take the scroll from the one who's sitting on the throne who's worthy to take the scroll from the one sitting upon the throne there's no one in heaven no one on earth no one under the earth that's worthy to go and approach this holy being and take the scroll from him and break its seven seals and all of a sudden one of those elders said John stop your crying stop your crying and in verse number five one of those elders said stop weeping behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah the root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals who is the line of the tribe of Judah? Jesus, right? So what does John do? John looks. And he said, I saw in verse 6, between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb. That's always perplexed me. The elders said, look, there's a line. And John said, I see a lamb. Let me tell you something. That elder had never been 
redeemed. He was a heavenly being who only knew Christ as lion. But John had been redeemed. He had been purchased by the blood. And he saw the lamb. I'm going to tell you something. That's what angels long to dig into, folks. That's what angels envy us for. Because we know him not just as a lion and ruler and, and king of kings and lord of lords, but we know him as a lamb. That's not the point of this. Let's move on. So I saw a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He took the book. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders... Fell down before the Lamb. I love this. This is something good with Muslims because they don't want to say Jesus is God and you know He's not worth worship. He's a good prophet. And all. Well, let me just tell you what happened. These beasts and these elders who have been worshiping and glorifying God on the throne turn their attention to the Lamb. And they fall on their faces before the Lamb. each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. They sang a new song to the Lamb, saying, Worthy are you to take the book, break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. They're the peoples. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. There's the peoples that worship. But now look at what happens in verse 11. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing in every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. I heard saying, Every created thing, thing is going to say something. The earthworms are going to surface and say something. The rocks are going to cry out. The thunder is going to roll. The bears in the forest are going to stop what they're doing. The beasts in the field are going to stop what they're doing. The sunflowers will turn their heads heavenward and they will say to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down in worship. There is coming a day when missions will be complete and all peoples will be gathered around the throne to worship and all of heaven and earth and creation will sing His praise. Psalm 66 and verse 4, all the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. And lastly, this is the Baptist lastly. This is my last point and then I got a conclusion. <clears throat> Number three, verse 13, even those who face judgment will glorify Him. Verse 13 says, before the Lord, for He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Christ is coming to judge the world. Those on his right will enter into his peace. Those on his left will enter into destruction. But all of them will give him glory. Philippians 2.10 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
you are going to bow your knee to Jesus on this side of eternity. Joyfully, willingly, and happily. Or you will bow your knee before Jesus on the other side of eternity anyway. You're going to confess Jesus as Lord joyfully and happily on this side of eternity, or you will confess Him as Lord on the other side of eternity. But He is Lord, and He's greatly to be praised. Soli Deo Gloria. Andrew Murray said, As we seek to find out why with such millions of Christians, the real army of God that is fighting the host of darkness is so small, the only answer is lack of heart. The enthusiasm of the kingdom is missing. And that is because there's so little enthusiasm for the king. If you love the glory of God, you cannot be indifferent. You cannot be apathetic towards evangelism, discipling, and missions. This is how we advance the kingdom. This is how we acknowledge His glory. By making more acknowledgers of His glory. This is the ultimate goal of missions. Sola Deo Gloria. Again, Piper said the highest of missionary motive is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal. Burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. Only one imperialism is Christian. And that is concern for His imperial majesty, Jesus Christ, and for the glory of His empire. This is why we do missions. This is why we are going. In our way. Soli Deo Gloria. Paris Reedhead. In his sermon, Two Shekels in a Shirt, tells the following story of two young Moravians that illustrate the ultimate why of missions. And this is where I leave you. He said, and I quote, In the late 1700s, a British planter owned an entire island in the West Indies off the coast of South America. Several thousand slaves toiled in the sugarcane fields under the burning sun. The atheist planter vowed that no missionary would ever set foot on the island to talk about God. He had said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. 3,000 slaves were doomed to live and die without hearing of Christ. Two young German Moravians heard of the island... They sold themselves to the British planter for the standard price for a male slave and used the money they received for their sale to purchase passage to the West Indies. The Moravian community came to see the two young men off who would never return again, having freely sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery. Family members were emotional, weeping, As the ship slipped away with the tide and the gap widened, the housings had been cast off and were curled up on the pier. The young men saw the widening gap. They linked arms, raised their hands, and shouted across the spreading gap, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive 
the reward of His suffering. We go. We go so that the Lamb may receive the full reward of His suffering. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for Your love and Your goodness. God, we don't deserve the grace You lavish on us every day. And we thank You. We praise You. We honor You. We glorify You for Your glory, who You are. We praise You. We honor You. We glorify You for what You have done and Your great works your work of the gospel. We praise you for you reign sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords forever and ever and ever. And we rest in that this morning. We thank you that you are a greater treasure than all of the nothings that we so easily get enamored with. Shake us free from our enslavement to them and help us to see the greatest treasure of Jesus. Help us to worship you now and to be part of that band of worshipers at the end of time gathered around your throne singing your praise with people from every nation, tongue, and tribe and all creation in heaven and on earth and under the earth and may we, may we hear you say well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your Lord and may we do it all for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.